Welcome to the SMC 2022 podcast. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation that changed the world. Come, follow me. Today, we have the same invitation. Hey, everyone. My name is Blake Christman. I'm on staff with Stumo in Fort Worth, Texas. So glad that you guys are joining me and listening in on this establishers breakout called Digging for Diamonds. We're going to look at how to study the Bible better because my hope is I want you to get so much out of reading the Bible that you absolutely look forward to it every single day. I mean, if what if it felt like a treasure hunt? You know, you were discovering valuable diamonds of truth. You know, wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, but like mining for diamonds, you need the right tools. And, and that's what I'm going to show you in this episode. We're going to be in scripture uh, quite a bit, and I'll give you lots of chances to pause and do some study of a passage on your own. And I think this podcast would would be ideal to listen to with your Bible open, being able to follow along. But if you're driving or on a run or something, listening to this, you'll still be able to get a lot out of it. I'm confident that this can be a great reference for you to go back and practice studying the Bible. But I'll, I want to talk about why this is so important. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is God breathed. God breathed. I mean, I don't think we really stop to consider what that means, that this this book literally is the word of God. And sure, we say that all the time. You know, that term isn't new. But do you really stop to think, God wrote a book. I mean, these are his very words that we're holding in our hands. I mean, and think about how you would react if if Justin Bieber commented on your last Instagram post or something like that. I mean, you would flip. But this is God we're talking about. He wrote a book and you can read it. You can get to know him. And I mean, I'm I was thinking about the impact of this verse. There's at least three significant implications of of 2 Timothy 3:16 that this is from God and and one is that we aren't in the dark about who God is. You know, what What if there were no Bible? If you just had to guess about God, it'd be your word against my word, you know, your best guess against mine. There'd be no way to have any certainty about who God was, heaven, how to go there. We just have to make it up. But instead, God has revealed himself. You know, we know what he is like, that he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, but he's just and he's righteous and he's full of wrath against sin and he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. We know this because he has told us and we can grow to love God for who he really is. The second impact I can think of is that this gives us a sound worldview. You know, not only do we learn about God, but we learn about the world, that God is, has laid out a clear story of how we got here, what our problem is with sin, you know, the plan of salvation and redemption through sending his son Jesus to pay for that and rescue us from sin and death. And he tells us the future that we await his return and the restoring all things. Do you know how secure that can make us? We can have a worldview that's reliable. It's sound. It gives us the right lens through which we can see the world and interpret life. And that's just the big picture. You know, that it's God breathed. Second Timothy 3, 16 goes on. It says, it's God breathed. And because of that, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not only does it give us the, the big picture about God and the world, but, 
but it tells us how to live. That's the third one, how to live. It it teaches us, it rebukes us when we get off track, it corrects us to get back on the right path, and it, it teaches us to keep going. It's the playbook for life. And when you know this book, you are ready for every good work in life. That's why this is important. Knowing God, knowing ourselves and the world, knowing how to live, that is what is at stake every time we open this book. And I remember my first SMC uh, that I ever came to, I heard a speaker, his name was John Barnett. If you ever, if you ever want to get inspired in the word, just go look up some John Barnett sermons on the Bible. He is amazing. This guy reads the Bible four times through every year. Can you imagine that? Every three months, all the way through, cover to cover. He's read the Bible over a hundred times. I mean, this guy knows the word. And I remember him standing on stage and just the way he held the Bible inspired me. I mean, he he had so much reverence for it and not just the the ink on a page, you know, not the physical Bible itself, but he had reverence for God, for having revealed himself in the word. And he shared the story that inspired me. He talked about, some impure images that were seared on his brain and it was just convicting him and bothering him. He felt a lot of shame from it and he wanted to live a pure life, but these images just kept popping up into his head. And And he said he wrestled with what to do, but he came across a scripture that God used to help him. It was Hebrews 9, 14. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? he realized through the gospel, through that word that God could purify his conscience, literally cleanse it. And that became his prayer. And that promise, he said, it helped him to take those thoughts captive. And he said, God did an amazing work. He purified his mind from those kind of freedom from being held captive by those images. Isn't that amazing? God's word teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains in righteousness. What if God used his word to do that in all kinds of areas of your life? What if, what if you came to it with that kind of anticipation that every single time you open this book, you are encountering the living God, that he is speaking to you. And he has something that he wants to say to you about himself, about sin and, and about life. Listen, that is the reality. That's the truth. Every time you open this book, I love this quote. This is Herman Bovink. He's an old theologian. He says this. He says, in the scriptures, God daily comes to his people, not from afar, but nearby. In it, he reveals himself from day to day to believers in the fullness of his truth and grace. It is the, the voice of God coming near to us. And I want you to think about this summary, you know, from this verse, the Bible is like an endless mine of truth to be discovered and lived. It's full of diamonds that show the character of God, his creation, your life and eternity. I mean, that's just the reality. But, you know, let's be honest for a second. It doesn't always feel like that, right? I mean, it doesn't for me. You might be thinking, Blake, come on, have you read all the Bible. I mean, lists of names that I can't pronounce, prophecies about angels and horses and Leviticus. Have you read Leviticus? You know, 
I'll give you that. I haven't always loved reading the Bible myself. And, and sure, picking out some inspirational verses here or there has been helpful, but but you know, trying to read through the Bible consecutively, it it was confusing for me. I probably read the first 10 pages of Genesis, you know, five or 10 times growing up. I could just never really get into it. And here's what I want to hopefully encourage you with. Reading the Bible is not necessarily easy at first, but think about it. Neither is learning to read anything. You know, when you first learned to read, when you were a a kid, uh, Clifford, the big red dog was a challenging read. You know, you had to work to sound out every word and pronounce it. But over time, you got better. At least I, I hope you did. You know, it's the same with the Bible. It takes some effort uh, at first. And that's kind of the idea of the title of this breakout. You know, John Piper had a quote once that he said, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. I want to help you learn how to dig into the scriptures. And to do that well, you need to know how to do it right and and some good tools to help. And so that's what we're going to do in this podcast episode. And I'm talking specifically about getting to the meaning of of passages that you can really observe and understand more in depth what you are reading every time you open the Bible. And so I want to start with a little example. Uh, and give you a chance to dig. So let's look at two verses. This is 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible on your phone or with you, open it up, uh, pull out the app and look up 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. Uh, And here's what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, My beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I want you on your own, just take one minute, uh, read through these two verses again, and I want you to make as many observations as you can in one minute. So on your phone, you know, pause, pause the podcast for a minute or whatever you need to do and look up as many observations as you can. And you're like, wait, what's, what is an observation? You know, here's what I mean. Make statements about it. Who is, who is in this? What are they like? What exactly is being said about them? Okay, so do this on your own. Okay, so you looked at it. Let's look at the passage together. I'm gonna give you an example of digging. So it says, Paul. Man, we could do a whole study on Paul. Paul's this Pharisee persecutor of Christians has this dramatic story of God saving him and then becomes the most prominent writer in the New Testament. Look at how he's described as an apostle of Christ. You know, what is an apostle? It's someone who is sent out to proclaim the gospel to people. And that's this command. That's this great commission command that Paul is living out. That is his role. Why does he do this? Is it his own choice, his own prerogative? No. What does it say? by the will of God. Can you imagine the confidence that that would give you if you knew that what you were doing was the will of God? You know, can you say that about your life, that that's what you're doing is by the will of God? And look, he says it's according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Notice it's a promise. It is certain 
Paul didn't wish for life. He didn't hope that people could find life. He knew it was a promise from God. There was a guarantee behind his message in this ministry. And what was the promise? It was life. It's uh, the word Zoe in the original language. You know, people have named their daughter after this word because it's a certain type of quality of life. This is eternal life. It's life with God forever. It's what we desperately need. You know, the wages of sin is death. That's what we've all earned. But there's this promise of eternal life. And where is it? In the passage, it says it's in Christ Jesus. The word in is crucial in the Bible. There's a doctrine called union with Christ that changes everything. I mean, think about what that means to be in Christ. No one would ever say you were in Muhammad or in Buddha, but the the nature of our relationship with Jesus is different. Eternal life is found in him, in Christ. And he writes to Timothy. This is his disciple. This is a man he invested in and poured his life into. Do you have a a Timothy in your life that you're helping to grow in their faith? Do you have a Paul in your life that's helping you grow? Uh, Are you a Timothy to someone? You know, look at their relationship. He calls him my beloved child. You know, Paul treated Timothy like a son. He loved him. And if you're discipling others, you know, what is it about? What's the motivation? Is it to make you look good? Is it uh, to grow a ministry or is it about the love that you have for them to know Jesus more. And look at what, look at how he ends it. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. You know, in the New Testament, when, when Paul writes, these are always in this order. You always have grace and mercy first and then peace. And that's significant. The order of those is important. Every other religion in the world puts peace first. You know, you have to do things to earn peace with God. You perform, you make peace with God by your actions. And then he gives you his favor. He gives you grace or he, he offers you mercy if you do enough, not Christianity. This is God's undeserved, unearned grace that comes first. He gives mercy when we did nothing for it. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and raise for us. And as a result of surrendering to him, We have peace with God. You know, that is the gospel. And look at what Paul says. Did we make this up? No, he says it's from God the Father. And think about that description. You know, we we say that all the time. It's easy to kind of read over. How do you picture God in your mind? You know, some people view him as a force. You know, maybe it's a police officer writing tickets or a teacher giving you bad grades every time you mess up. No, Paul, who's following Jesus's lead, says God is father. How would that change the way you approached God if you daily thought about him as your heavenly father? And then lastly, he says, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Look, he gives three titles for Jesus. Why not just say Jesus? Well, Because the titles are significant. He calls him Christ. That was the term for Messiah, that Jesus is the savior. He calls him Jesus. That that was his earthly name, that he is fully man. And he calls him Lord, that he's also fully God, that he is the Lord of the, the universe. And that shows this is him whom we serve. So, I mean, think about this. We just did two verses. Look at that. Most people read this and you think, okay, it's 
dear Timothy from Paul, like that's it. But look what we've got. We've got the apostle Paul's radical call, his apostleship, living out the great commission. We've got the promise of salvation and life. We've got union with Christ. We've got the loving nature of discipleship with Timothy. We've got the gospel message itself. We have Jesus being fully God and fully man. And you know, you might get a future name for your daughter out of this life. I mean, can you imagine what is in verse three? Diamonds. Every passage in scripture is like that. All scripture is God breathed and it's useful, but you've got to learn to dig, to see what is in the text. And that really is the key with this whole thing is it's learning to see. And I want to give you some tips on how to do that well and how to dig. And I want to clarify the metaphor real quick. You know, digging, when I say that, that relates to effort. You know, not that there's somehow some hidden message in the Bible that you have to dig and uncover. No, God's revealed the truth plainly. It is right in front of us, but it does take some effort to look into the word, to focus and concentrate on the truth that God has provided for us and ensure that you not only see it and learn it and understand it, but also to live it. And that's the digging part that we really want to do together. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in one passage right after this, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 18. So we are going to look at the next verse uh, and walk. I want to walk through this process to kind of give you an overview of how you can dig And then I'll, at the end, point you to some resources that'll help you even further. So 2 Timothy 3, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 18. Uh, If you want to pause, read this for a second on your own. Um, Read through the whole, this whole passage uh, and just get a feel for it. And then I'm going to walk you through the first steps in how we dig. So pause this and read through it on your own. Second Timothy three or one, three through 18. The first step in how we can dig, dig is called, we call observations. This answers the question, what do you see? I said the, the whole key to this is learning to see well. This is how you find the diamonds of truth in there. And to do that well, you really need to read the passage 10 times at least, you know, and we're not gonna do that right now, but that's a pretty standard rule. If you wanna study a passage well, you know, John MacArthur is a, a pastor, and he's kind of famous for the John MacArthur method of of reading a whole book of the Bible every day for 30 days. You know, so imagine reading all of 2 Timothy every day for 30 days. You know, you know what would happen? You would know what was in 2 Timothy. You know, that was pretty straightforward. So read it over and over and over again, and, and you'll start to see more of what's in there. But I want to teach you to see some specific things. We've got categories of observations and I want to give you some three specific ones today. And the first one is descriptions. These are descriptions are huge to look for. They can tell you so much about all kinds of things. You know, for example, the first verse uh, that we looked at, 2 Timothy 3, 16 said, all scripture is God breathed. That's a description of scripture. In fact, I'm kind of building this whole breakout on the backbone of that very description. But 
But typically, I try to narrow down my descriptions to three areas. One is the author, second is the audience, and third is God. And so I'll use quotation marks if I'm marking in my Bible uh, around these descriptions. And, and side note, I know some people don't like marking in their Bible or they feel like there isn't room. And I would just say print it off if you have to or, or buy one of the ESV scripture journals. They're like five bucks for one book of the Bible. And and you can write all in there or just get a separate cheaper Bible that you want, don't mind marking in. But I think marking is so important because it's helping you see what God has has given us. So look through, uh, look through the passage again with me if you have your Bible open, listening to this. Let's look at some of the descriptions. You know, Paul is described as apostle. That's a, a description of the author. Timothy is described as beloved child. Uh, that's he is the audience. He is p- who Paul is writing to. Uh, and in in the rest of of three through eighteen, if we were going to kind of go through these. Um, in fact, go ahead and pause this, read through three through 18 again, and see if you can find as many descriptions as you can of Paul, of Timothy and of God. So do that on your own. So let's, let's look at some of the ones we can find. You know, Paul's described as apostle. He's described as remembering Timothy constantly in his prayers, a prisoner, a preacher, a teacher. He's suffering. He's not ashamed. I would put quotation marks around all of those. And then that helps me to go back through and see these well. Timothy described as beloved child, having a sincere faith, having a gift of God, having a deposit entrusted to him. And look, God is described, like we said earlier, as father, as Lord, as powerful, that he's specifically helping Paul suffer well in verse eight. So you've written those down. That's what I would typically do, mark those with quotations. That's great. But now I want to spend a minute and I want to reflect on what do those teach me? You know, what has Paul been going through as a prisoner, as suffering, as not being ashamed? You know, what what links have I been willing to go through in my life for my faith? You know, think about you. What pushback or opposition have you had to deal with with your faith? I'm guessing not many have been prisoners, but that just shows you the the passion that Paul had for this call and this message. Timothy's described as having a sincere faith. You know, I want to I want to think about that. Uh, it describes his faith as going through his family. You know, I read that and I can stop right there and I can I can make that a prayer. God, help me to have a godly legacy of faith in my family. I want to pass down this faith for three generations worth in my family. You know, you see, if you pause for a second and you just think about those descriptions, it opens up the text. It, it teaches you, it shows you things that you wouldn't get in the first read through. And that step of reflection is so important in the observation, because that's what turns this from an academic exercise into a devotional one. And that's really the heart behind all of this is spending time in God's word, reflecting on what it means in your life. So that's descriptions. Let's look at the second one. The second category of observations I call types of statements. And there's three of these also, uh, commands, promises, and warnings. And these are some of the most important observations you can make and what's great is they're probably the easiest observations to make. You know, of, of course, commands are 
imperative statements. They're telling the audience to do some actions. Uh, and, you know, an example, a command could be clean your room. You know, a promise could be clean your room and I will give you a dollar. You know, there's a, con- a condition attached to that promise. A warning would be a negative promise. It would be, if you don't clean your room, you will be grounded. You know, it's it's a negative connotation to it. And what's interesting about Christianity and as we study the, study the Bible, the order of these matter a lot. So I want to say something about commands before we move on. Don't forget when you're studying the Bible that commands happen in context. You know, if you read Romans, if you read Ephesians, Colossians, and many others, the first half of the book will all be truths about God and the gospel. Very few commands. But the second half gets into the practical living and the commands. But if we forget the first half and we forget the motivation for the commands, then we get off track. And and even in this section, you know, that Paul's writing to Timothy, the commands come in the context of Paul saying, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's in the context of the grace that God has given us uh, or Timothy. And we need to remember that context so that the commands don't come become a burden. Sinclair Ferguson is an author and he calls this gospel grammar, that the indicative statements become before the imperative statements. You know, indicative means statements of truth. Imperative means commands of action. You have to get the order right. The indicative, Christ died for sin and rose. You are united to Christ by faith are the bedrock of the imperatives. Repent, believe, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you have to get that order right to have gospel-centered motivations for your obedience. So I want to look at a couple of these types of statements, and we're just going to look right now at at 2 Timothy uh, 1 verse 8, where he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So any types of statements in that verse, and I hope off the bat, uh, you could see that there's, there's actually two imperative commands. There's two commands in this one verse. And what are they? One is do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, And two is share in suffering for the gospel. And I always underline commands and I underline all types of statements. I want them to stand out on the page when I look at the passage. And I'll write, you know, just abbreviate C-O-M for command out in the margin or I'll write P-R-O-M for promise uh, out in the margins just so I can see it quickly. And that's pretty straightforward, you know, finding that type of statement, that command. Now you want to reflect on it. You know, when when have been some times that you've been ashamed of, of your faith or maybe not stood up for it? What about some times you've shied away from identifying with one of the Christians that you know in your dorm or in your fraternity or sorority? Maybe someone's talked badly about a believer or a ministry on your campus. Do you just go along with it because it's easier to fit in? You know, that reflection is really important as we're making these observations. And we'll talk uh, in a minute about how those help lead into an application. Okay, so that's an example of types of statements. Now, the last observation that we can make, and this one we call repetitions, repetitions. And this is important 
uh, and needing to learn to find these because oftentimes this will reveal the author's emphasis or really the theme of a passage. You know, think about it. If your mom or your dad texts you and says, hey, give me a call, you know, you might not think much of it, but if they texted you two minutes later and said, hey, call me, you'd know it was probably more important. And if they responded again and said, call me right now, you'd probably start to get worried. Like you'd think it was an emergency. The repetition adds emphasis. You know, today in our writing, we can add bold or italics or emojis for emphasis. But back in in the Bible times when writing, they had this tool of repetition to show emphasis. So when you look for repetitions, you, you obviously want to look for specific words that are repeated, but you also want to look for themes or ideas. And, you know, there's, there's some art to this. Uh, sometimes you have to look past specific words and kind of get a feel for what the author is saying. And we'll see that some here, but again, pause, pause the, the tape or the podcast and, and, read through this passage again and look for specific repetitions, words, ideas, or themes that Paul lists in this passage. Okay, so there might've been a couple that you could have found but I want to look specifically at one and it revolves around this idea of remember. So maybe you found that. Uh, There's a repetition of this idea of remembering. In verse three, he says he remembers, Paul remembers Timothy constantly in his prayers. Verse four, he remembers Timothy's tears. Verse five, he's reminded, or you could say remembers his sincere faith. Verse six, He wants to remind Timothy or he wants Timothy to remember to fan and to flame the gift of God. And then down in verse 13, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. So he's kind of saying, remember that pattern. Again, not repeated word, but a similar idea. Okay, so you found those repetitions. What's the big deal? This is where you take the Bible again from the academic exercise into the heart. And you have to think about these, meditate on them them for a second. Think about it. What kind of relationship do you think Paul and Timothy had that he would remember so much about him? You know, did they just get to know each other? No way. You know, they go way back. They are in each other's lives. I mean, Paul knows Timothy's grandma. You know, how many of your friends at school do you know their grandma? He prays for him constantly how convicting is that? You know, I don't even pray for myself constantly. Imagine your prayers being consumed by the well-being of someone that you're discipling. What else? He remembers Timothy's gifts. Uh, he and, and he wants him to remember Paul's words. Paul had encouraged Timothy in this teaching. He wanted him to use this these gifts. Think about all the things that you've learned this past semester in your Bible studies from sermons that you've heard, from discipleship lessons that you've been taught. Do you remember those? Can can you call them to mind? I mean, if this letter was being written to you, what would be the key teachings that you would want to remember? See, I mean, you can just spend tons of time asking reflection questions like this on the observations that you've made. And that's what's so powerful about digging into the word and Bible study in general 
is you're getting this word into your life. And when we get into application, that's how you'll make it. You'll draw these comparisons. You'll use the Bible as a mirror to say, where do I need to look like that? Okay, so that's that repetition. Another one you could have found was ashamed. Uh, That's another big one. He says, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. I'm not ashamed. Uh, He says Onesiphorus was not ashamed of of Paul's chains. You could also add verse seven, that God gave us a spirit not of fear. So no fear to be ashamed. You could add Timothy's faith was sincere, was not ashamed. That could maybe fit into that repetition. And, And that, again, these repetitions are huge clues into what this passage is really about. And that's what we want to do when we study the Bible. We want to get to the this main idea of what the passage is about. And um, that's where this idea of, of observations is so important. So think about all that we just did. Can you get all of that in a 60-second quick read-through of the passage? I mean, there is no way, right? Like you, that's why you have to read it again and again, several times through, and the themes start to pop out to us. That's the power of digging and studying the Bible more in depth. Just a side note, in case you guys did this on your own, suffering could have been another repetition of a theme. And if you found that one, that's amazing. So I want to just let you know if I've actually made some videos uh, online that help walk through each of these steps plus a couple more observations that you can find. So you can check those out uh, at developdisciples.thinkific.com. That's think, uh, I-F-I-C.com. And so you can watch those for free and, and get some more tips on how to find those observations. And now that you've done all of that work, we wanna move along and try to really understand the passage. You know, if observation asks, what do I see? This next one, interpretation, asks, what does it mean? Why did God include this in the Bible? Why was the author saying the things that he was saying? And so this is getting into the why. You know, I've got three little kids. Two of them are five and and seven. So I get why questions all the time now. You know, why do we eat breakfast? And it's like, well, to, to fill your tummy, you know, you know why, you know, so you won't get hungry well, why daddy? You know, so you can be strong and and healthy. Well, why that? You know, so you can live a good life. You know, why do daddy, you know, it's like, I'm questioning my whole existence over a bowl of Cap'n Crunch. You know, it's the power of asking why is actually an amazing question. I love the curiosity of my kids. And I think that same curiosity can benefit us a ton when we come to the Bible. You know, there's a common view today. It kind of says the, the Bible is, just open to everyone's own, you've heard it, interpretation. It's every, open to anyone's interpretation. That's a common critique. You know, you'll hear, you're, you'll hear people say, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And, you know, I actually agree with that statement. Uh, you can use the Bible to make it say whatever you want it to say if you misinterpret it. If you misinterpret it, of course you can make it say but that's the each author that wrote had a very specific purpose and a reason for writing. And interpretation is we're just discovering what that was. And it has, it has one. It has a specific original meaning. And our job is to try to discover what that is. 
And some passages are harder and there might be a variety of interpretations, but for the most part, most passages are pretty straightforward. So how do we find what the passage means? And so there's a couple steps in this interpretation process I wanna walk you through. The first is to ask questions of your observations. We kind of did this already a little bit, but this is just another step where you wanna ask the who, what, when, where, why, how questions of all the observations that you made. So take that verse eight as an example that, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I want to run this filter through. You know, what is the command? Do not be ashamed. What is he not supposed to be ashamed about? The testimony about our Lord. What else? Nor of me, his prisoner. You know, that's Paul. What's the other command? To share in suffering. For what? For the gospel. How? How do I share in suffering? By the power of God. Why? Why does Paul command this? Well, the sentence starts with therefore. So we have to look back at the paragraph right before, and there is a specific reason. In verse seven, the verse right before this, he says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. You know, that's the reason. And so I want to run all the observations that I make through those series of questions. And then the next step is I want to summarize the answers. You know, there's almost an endless number of questions that you could ask, and you're going to go through a lot of these, but I want to try to summarize. So how could I summarize that last verse? You know, I might say something like this. Paul wants Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul, but be willing to suffer because of the power God has given him. You know, that would be an example of a, of a summary. And, you know, I think I'm, as I write that out, I'm starting to get a better grasp of, of the passage, or at least this particular paragraph. And you might have a couple of different summaries. You know, if you broke the passage down into a couple of different sections, you could have a, a summary of Paul remembering Timothy. You could have a summary of the guys who left Paul, uh, who weren't like Onesiphorus. And once you have that summary, you want to check it in light of the overall context. You know, that's our third step is pay attention to the context. All scripture happens in the context of a book or a letter. You can't just lift one verse out of nowhere. You know, probably the most famous example is Philippians 4.13. You know, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. It's the athlete's favorite verse. Well, what is that verse about? Is it about competition? No, it's about contentment. It's about Paul having plenty or being in need. You know, he was wealthy and had stuff or he was without stuff. And he says, hey, either way, I can do everything. I can do either one through Jesus who strengthens me. He can make me content. You know, you have to know the context where you're digging in the Bible. And I think it's helpful to know the genre. Second Timothy is a letter. It's a letter to an individual person. So we have to filter everything through Paul's relationship with Timothy. There, but there's other genres of scripture. You know, if you read the Old Testament, a, a narrative or a story is going to be a different way of, of kind of thinking through that context. Or you read the Psalms, which is poetry or Proverbs that's full of wisdom literature. That's a different context. You know, the same way you would read a, an email from your professor, different than you'd read a text message from your girlfriend. Like those are just two different, totally context, uh, genres of writing and you got to understand them in different ways. And so 
at this point, I know in the, in the process of studying the Bible, this feels like a lot of work. And I actually agree with you, but think about the benefit. Think about how much already we've read through this passage. That's 80% of the point. You know, you're just getting to know God's word more. This whole process, you're spending time with the Lord and just getting to, to understand what he has given to us. So enjoy the process of this. Uh, and then we get to the final step of interpretation, and that's discern the author's big idea. This is where we put it all together. You look through the various summaries that you come up with, and you want to try to boil it down to a one-sentence main point. And you say, wait, didn't I do that with the summaries? You know, it's close, but there's a difference between a summary and a main point. You know, think about movies. We just are in the holidays, you know, you watch Home Alone over Christmas. What's the summary of Home Alone? You know, you could say the summary is like a kid gets left behind by his family and defends his house from burglars using various tricks and traps. You know, that's a summary, right? But what's the main point of the movie? The main point is different. You know, you could argue about what the main point is, but maybe it's kids can be independent, but still crave the power of family, you know, something like that, right? That's a little different than the summary. Now, obviously that's a movie. This passage we're looking at is a little more straightforward, but still the main point is the takeaway. It's the reason that God included this in his Holy scripture. And so I want to kind of show you how a a main point could be written. I try to make it concise. And I've just described the main point this way. Timothy should be bold in the face of suffering because God has empowered him. You know, how about that? I I mean, something like that. Now we've interpreted the passage. We know the meaning behind this. And listen, we just kind of cherry picked one observation. You could go back and, and go through all the verses in this passage. And with all 18 verses and the observations, you could probably refine that main point and get even more nuance to it. But I picked that one because I think, you know, verse eight is a pretty good summary. And oftentimes when you're studying a passage, there will be one or two verses that capture the big idea really well. Okay. So we've got our big idea. We know why this is in here. Now we want to move to the last step, which is application. Application asks the question, what does it mean for me? This whole process, it cannot be an intellectual exercise only. Studying the Bible is not for academics. It's for application. You know, Philippians 4, 9, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's about practicing them. You know, James 1, 22 through 25 is probably the most explicit. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, be doers of the word. And one of the reasons I think we don't get a lot out of the Bible is we never let it move from our heads down into our heart and into our hands. We don't let it change us, but that's what God's word does. If you will let it, you know, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It does surgery on your heart. If you'll let it, let it, let God's word do surgery on your heart and on your life. Let it change you. And it's way more exciting than just an academic exercise. You know, I take my kids to get donuts every Saturday and often we'll pick a passage. We'll talk through it. 
One day we were talking through James 3, 8 and 9 that says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The kids didn't know it, but I was, I was basically walking them through this process. What is the tongue like? What do we do? Why do you think he describes it this way? Well, we landed on kind of this phrase, our tongues can be like poison to people if we use them in hurtful ways. You know, our tongues can be like poison to people if we use them in hurtful ways. It was a fun talk. You know, we were sticking our tongues out at each other or eating donuts. It was amazing. My kids loved it. And we said a prayer. We praised God as our application. You know, I didn't think much of it. Well, sure enough, a couple of weeks later, I kind of got frustrated and, and spoke a little harshly to my son. You know, he wasn't obeying or something. But anyway, I, I, I was kind of harsh and he shut down. I mean, he just withdrew like in a little ball and he went up to his bedroom, got under his covers. I mean, I, it hurt him. And, and so I went up to apologize to him and, and he looked at me and he said, dad, when you said that, it was like poison on my heart. Yeah. I mean, you imagine as a father, you want to talk about conviction. God used his word to do surgery on me. And I will never look at that passage the same way again, you know, but I got a chance to confess my sin to him he showed me so much grace. It was amazing. And I've seen God take scripture and do that kind of stuff time and time again. And there's a, an easy tool to use when you're thinking through making applications. Uh, and it's just the word spec, S-P-E-C-K, spec. And it stands for a sin to avoid, a promise to claim, an example to follow, a command to obey, or a knowledge to gain. Uh, and oftentimes an application could overlap into almost all of these. You know, for example, we could use this passage, there a sin to avoid. You know, you could say having the spirit of fear, that's a, a sin to avoid. Is there a promise to claim? Uh, life in Christ would probably be the only explicit promise. You know, we looked at in the first two verses, but you could also probably make the case that this spirit of power and love of self-control is a, a, a promise for all believers. Uh, an example to follow, you could follow Paul's boldness, a command to obey, do not be ashamed. You know, that's the one that we looked at. Is there a knowledge to gain? You know, I'll just use this if there are specific characteristics or attributes that, of God that I'm meditating on, or if there's verses that I want to memorize, that's kind of where I'll put that in application. But anyway, my point is to pick one and I want to hone it down. I want to try to build it around the big idea and make it specific. You know, I don't want to be vague and say, I will be bold this week. You know, I want to try to be specific. Uh, I'm going to be bold with the gospel this week by asking John about his faith or something like, I'm going to go ask Joe to train me in sharing my testimony. You know, something like that. Can you imagine? I mean, if you've studied the powerful word of God, understood it, and now your life is literally changing because of it. That's amazing going through this process. And, and I don't want to burden you feeling like you have to have some big application every single time you do this. Sometimes it's just, I want to pray through this verse. I'm going to ask God to make this a part of my life. I'm going to trust him to do the surgery on my heart. So that's the process that I'll go through kind of from observation to interpretation to application. I wanted to give you guys a couple tools as we close uh, that I think could be useful to you and helping you dig and the first one is I would recommend using commentaries. Don't be afraid of, of doing this alongside some, some 
uh, leaders and, and men and women who have studied the scriptures throughout their whole lives. I wanted to point to a couple, preceptaustin.org, uh, P-R-E-C-E-P-T, austin.org. That's just a, a website that has compiled all kinds of commentaries that are very trustworthy. You could search every single verse in the entire Bible and find commentaries on them. Another one is called Constable's Notes. And this guy has a PDF commentary for every single book of the Bible and pretty every, pretty much every single verse. So you search Constable's Notes and that'll pop up. And then the last thing I would say is is buy one. I think it's worth investing in. You know, it's it's an investment in your soul. So buy a commentary. I think the new Bible commentary and the John MacArthur commentary are really good one volume commentaries on the entire Bible. And so invest in one of those and use it. It'll really, really help you understand passages more and grow. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of close with this last uh, recommendation. If you practice this process and you do it regularly, I promise it will change your life. It'll make your time in God's word more meaningful. You know, I can't promise an emotional feeling, you know, the warm and fuzzies every time you read the Bible, but I can promise according to second Timothy three, it's useful. It's growing you. It's training and equipping you for life. Listen, I, you might not remember what you ate three weeks ago, but I promise it fed you. It's the same thing with scripture. Every time you open God's word and study it, you are growing. God is teaching you. He's promised that his word does not return void and it accomplishes its work. So take heart and keep digging. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Just a reminder, you can find all the other breakout sessions for SMC on Apple and on Spotify at SMC 2022.